Today on the show, we are running away with the governor's daughter and exploring the life of a legendary swordmaster. Okay. Swordmaster is a euphemism. Euphemism. Okay, good. I'm glad we were on exactly the same page there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he's quick to whip the sword out. Hello. And impress. Especially for the governor's daughter. (laughs) Especially for sending her unsolicited sword pics. Welcome to Gamchabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name's Abu. My name is Leo. And Leo. Yep. I'm excited for today. Oh, I am too. (laughs) Because we finally get to talk about our guy, Duncan motherfucking Idaho. Oh, love him. Love. Also, we were like, wait, have we done like an early life of Duncan Epic? No? What? <laughs> why? Why not? Frankly, I don't know why. Were we intimidated? Were we self-conscious about our own so. sexual prowess? Yeah. I think it was just so knowing that doing this script would, would jeopardize any and all relationships we have moving <laughs> forward. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Abu, that's a hot script you wrote. Oh, is that script single? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, (laughs) yes, we're talking about Duncan Idaho today. But before we get too far, let's take care of our housekeeping. Mm -hmm. Starting off with a spoiler warning. Hey, no spoilers today. Look at that. We're going to be looking at Duncan's early life. So no spoilers in today's episode. That's right. And as always, a huge shout out to our Kwisatz Haderach level patrons. Case Aiken. Matthew Good. Gentlemen, I think it's clear from your generosity, from just the quality, the cut of your jib, that if you were imprisoned on some faraway mining planet, Mm -hmm. House Atreides, and we here at Gamjabar would spare no expense in bringing you back to safety, to where you belong, just by our sides. Exactly. Thank you you for your ongoing (laughs) generosity. And again, thank you to all of our patrons. Seriously, what you all do to support us makes what we do possible. It does indeed. Okay, that takes care of housekeeping. A quick overview of how today's episode will go. Indeed. Today is going to go pretty chronologically. We will start off by looking at Duncan's earliest years and talk about what we know about his childhood, all the way up to his graduation at the Swordmaster School. And then we'll talk about some of his adventures pre-Dune pre-Atreides in adult life. Right. But ultimately, all of the adventures he does go on lead him back to House Atreides. So that's where we'll end up in today's episode, at the very beginning of Dune. It's true. Okay, so let's take a quick break. Let's take a breather. Let's compose ourselves in preparation (laughs) to learn more about Duncan motherfucking Idaho. Uh Uh-huh. But don't go anywhere, folks, because we'll be right back. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. Oh, I hope you're ready for a tall glass of water because mm. we are talking about Duncan, motherfucking Idaho. Yes. So to begin, let's talk about Duncan's earliest years. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the beginning of the man, the myth, the legend, Duncan, Idaho. And this goes to the year 10,158 AG on planet Caladan. That's right. And his parents are called by the Dune Encyclopedia, quote, undistinguished. Oh. End quote. And also, quote, lower class. Ouch. End quote. Damn. <laughs> and they're not given names. Oh, no. <laughs> Maybe those are their names. It's uh, undistinguished Idaho and uh, lower and class. Lower class Idaho. Idaho. Yeah. yeah. Mrs. Lower class Idaho. Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Lower class. <laughs> She goes by low, low for short. Yeah. <laughs> Undie and low. Are the two. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough look. And I'm a little disappointed that the encyclopedia doesn't expand more on his parents. Maybe they <laughs> yeah. were, you know, like just normal sort of nobodies in the larger world of the Trades and imperial politics and sure. Kaladin even. Maybe they were just like your average middle class people. Yeah. Or even lower class people as the encyclopedia makes clear but it still kind of bumps me out that we don't at least even learn their names yeah part of me thinks like maybe the author of that section of the encyclopedia was just so intimidated by the crazy <laughs> name duncan idaho right that they're like i have to come up with the people who chose the name duncan right uh they're undistinguished don't ask me any more questions about them. yeah yeah that's true that's true or he pitched some names that were rejected by McNelly, you know, he was like, what if his mom's name is Kelly, Illinois, and his dad's name is like Robert, Nevada. And McNelly's like, no, no. Brisket, Ohio. (laughs) Alligator, Florida. Alligator. is. (laughs) He he goes by Al for short. Al. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Please write in your suggestions for Duncan's parents. Yes. Oh, we'd love to hear your ideas. Or it's like Baskin, Nevada and uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. and uh, McDonald's, <laughs> Denver. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. Well, regardless of that, what's kind of even more of a bummer, actually, is that we know so little about even Duncan's childhood. We don't know about his parents, and we have very few details, basically no details, about the exact shape of his early childhood. What was it like for, like, seven-year-old Duncan out there on planet Kaladin with his unnamed parents? Right. We don't know. Yeah, I mean, the encyclopedia is kind of postured as an in-universe document, so it's also possible that he kind of deliberately, as, like, biographers are going... Oh, who was that swordmaster? And people go, wow, he really didn't talk about his early years at all. Yeah. And so it's also possible that just through 
the fact that he was already not really living a documented life as an undistinguished lower class kid right. in the slums of Caladan. So it's just lost to time, basically. Lost to the history books. Alas. Now, his more documented biography begins with House Atreides performing kind of a regular audit and assessment of their governed population on Caladan. I kind of get the impression they're doing like standardized testing yeah. for the populace. They're yeah, just yeah, doing, yeah. they're like the SATs to every person <laughs> every few years just to see if anybody great is popping up in the, mm-hmm. in the populace. But House Atreides stumbles across this kid and young Duncan is so immediately impressive to House Atreides that although he is a child, they assigned him to apprentice at House Ginaz, mm-hmm. known for basically their unmatched sword masters and their sort of reputation for their ability to train people up to be right. great. Right. You know, and, and I really get the impression that this is equivalent to the governing body seeing a child in, you know, lower class families and being like, here's a full ride scholarship to yeah. one of the most prestigious institutions in the universe. Here you go. Right. You deserve it. You've got what it takes to like get the most out of this. Right. Exactly. It's like House of Trades paid for a full ride to the MIT of Swordmaster Schools for him. Yeah. Just because <laughs> yeah. he did super well on his like SATs, you know, his his CATs, <laughs> yeah. his Kaladin standard eye tests or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I, I agree. It definitely feels like House of Trades paid for Duncan to go to this school and this is likely the moment the trajectory of his life changes forever right like he has a couple of flashpoints throughout his life that will bring him to the point he's at at the start of the story in dune this is the very first flashpoint is he's noticed by house of trades and he gets this incredible opportunity to go to the sword master school at one of the preeminent sword master academies of house Ginas. yeah we also see a little later this is a moment that Duncan himself identifies like this is the moment I was born. Right. Like House Atreides gave me this life. In the broad sense, we know that House Atreides is doing a lot for Duncan, but Duncan himself also identifies this as like his birth. Yes, and absolutely. This is part of what will make Duncan the sort of like fanatically loyal person to House Atreides that he becomes is this moment as like the first pillar. Basically. Definitely. Definitely. And look, hey, we're giving House of Trades a lot of credit, but <laughs> yeah. that doesn't take away from Duncan Idaho himself, right? He is yeah. a standout student, and even among his peers at the prestigious Swordmaster Academy of House Ginas, Duncan stands out. He's head and shoulders above his peers, and he is fast-tracked along this Swordmaster training. And what's interesting is... You might think, okay, swordmaster training, I guess it's like sort of a fencing class. He learns how to use knives right. and shit. You know, he he learns to be a fighter, basically. <laughs> Big swords, small swords, swords. Swords. It's a master of swords. Master of swords. Yeah. That's not entirely accurate, though, because the encyclopedia explains to us that swordmaster training is actually quite diverse. He's learning a lot of different skills that he will go on to utilize for House of Trades. We're actually told that by the time Duncan graduates... He was prepared, quote, not only to plan military campaigns, but also to repair force shields, create linguistically complex battle languages, 
design military support facilities, and improvise weapons. End quote. <laughs> oh my God. That's really, yeah, that's like a whole package. Yeah. He went to the John Wick course of the Swordmaster <laughs> Academy. Yeah. Revenge for the pet that was untimely taken from you. Yeah. It's an important class. It's incredible. So I think that's important is like we always hear Duncan Idaho, Swordmaster of Guinness, best fighter in the galaxy. And oftentimes we forget that he's also kind of like a military genius. Like he's been trained in so many different right. skills and he's a well-rounded, not just fighter, but tactician as well. Right. Yeah. There's obviously, again, without getting into plot stuff, there are moments when Paul is thinking back onto advice that Duncan gives in the heat of battle. And oftentimes his advice is not like stab them with the sword. It's all very, it's psychological and yeah. it's understanding the way that people think and operate in the heat of battle. It's, it's cool. Absolutely. So ultimately, Duncan is a standout student at the Swordmaster School. He learns all of these skills. He's fast-tracked along them. And at around 17 years old, he graduates. He is officially a Swordmaster of the House of Guinness at just 17 years old. Crazy. It's wild stuff. Yeah. Well, let's actually take a quick detour talking about Duncan and his time at Guinness, because we're about to get into this war of assassins between Guinness and another body. And I think it would be good to, for a moment, understand a little bit more about House Guinness so that the kind of later events make more sense. Yeah, definitely. So to quickly go over the history of House Guinness, the Dune Encyclopedia tells us that the Guinness family traces its lineage all the way back to a company of entertainers founded by someone named Alberto Genazterra and his wife, Maria Elisa Drago. And this troupe of entertainers, quote, performed light operas, comedies, skits, burlesque, and other amusement to appreciative audiences on a wide variety of planets, satellites, imperial forts, and even large ships, earning their passage from system to system by entertaining important politicians or wealthy tradesmen and landowners, end quote. Hell yeah. Cool. Oh my God. Super cool. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And it only gets cooler because the encyclopedia goes on to tell us that the original group was literally just two people, a two-man show by Alberto and his wife, Maria. And it became so wildly successful, and they continued to grow over the next couple of years, that they eventually hired on a full team of 30 professional musicians, singers, and actors. And even the emperor at the time, Emperor Frederick V, took note and requested a private show and was so blown away by this private show, Leo. This is where it gets incredible for me. <laughs> he orders... Alberto and Maria to take their 30-person show, their team, their staff, and create a base of operations on a nearby planet, a planet super close to Seleucus Secundus, so that they can come back every year and perform for him again. Oh, my God. <laughs> so he, he basically gave them a residency. Yes, yes. In the Imperial Court as best show. Yes. Yeah. So no, no more hopping from like ship to ship to planet to planet making the money they can, getting the transportation they can. <laughs> yeah. 
Now they have a steady paycheck and they are in the good graces of literally the emperor of the known universe. And the encyclopedia sort of sums this up for us nicely. It says thus, quote, the Giras Terra Company became the only officially recognized entertainment group sanctioned by the emperor himself, end quote. <laughs> you know, I made a joke about, about the uh, residency, but ultimately this is even crazier because this is akin to like the mayor of a town or like the president of a small country being like, here, have this continent, <laughs> have this island. <laughs> That state, that like nation over there yeah. is yours now. Yes. You get it. And then you can have a nation of performers that, you know, y'all come back and yeah. give us a good time. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> and this is obviously a glow up for Alberto and Maria, right? Like they are literally given a planet. They are in the good graces of the emperor. They are given titles of nobility. They're handed Crazy. fancy estates on this planet. And this effectively launches their family, their house, to house minor status. How good was that burlesque? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I want to Can know. you imagine? Can you imagine like a little strip tease that's so good you become nobility? <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Pretty good. Now, Alberto, unfortunately, passes away in the year 7,844 AG. Mm-hmm. And the Dune Encyclopedia tells us the emperor, oh, this is beautiful, quote, wept for days, uh, saying, the hope of laughter has vanished from my world forever. Oh, my God. <laughs> Historians note that Frederick aged rapidly over the next few years and was an embittered recluse by the time he died in 7,849 <laughs> AG, end quote. Oh, my God. I think he died from being sad that Alberto died. Yes. Like his favorite actor passed away. Right. And it killed him. <laughs> That's tragic and a little bit funny, but mostly tragic. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's what happens, right? And you have like a couple who like, you know, been together for 65 years and then right. one of them passes away. And then it's only like shortly thereafter, because again, you, you, like that's a thing, yeah. the documented thing. Yeah. This is the emperor and his favorite <laughs> burlesque man. <laughs> the hope of the, what is it? The hope of laughter yeah. at his raunchy strip teases. <laughs> right. Well, it's interesting you bring up the idea of couples that are married for 60 years and then die at the same time. Sure. Here's my headcanon. I'm curious what you think. Emperor Frederick V and Alberto, lovers, secret lovers. Oh. They were fucking on the side. Yeah. And they loved each other. And thus, Alberto and Maria got all of this free shit from the emperor because those two fell in love, whether it was sanctioned by Maria, like maybe she was open to it. Maybe yeah. it was a secret their entire lives. Who knows? My headcanon. And the, to be clear, this is not in the encyclopedia. This is <laughs> yeah, only coming sure. originally from my head. Is that Alberto and the Emperor were lovers in some capacity? I listen immediately. I'm on board. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think from you know you, Alberto and Maria, you don't start a company like that 
and get so successful without having like a, a rock of a, of a relationship. Yeah. And because like skits and light operas, burlesque, these are performers. I feel like it would be like a, a, a thruple situation Ooh. where like, where like maybe, uh, Frederick and Alberto are really the ones who click the closest. Like, I think you're right. Like that's where the spark in love was. Maybe it was his first same sex relationship. Wow. Frederick. Frederick. He, he like repressed his whole life and <gasps> he had to marry for political reasons. And, oh my goodness. <laughs> and, and this was like his permission to like know himself and be yeah. happy with himself. Oh my God. Yes. But then, but then of course, Maria's there too, as the supportive partner and it's her emperor and they're, they're loyal subjects. And yeah, I could see all of that. Cause then there'd be like light temptation during the, and, and teasing during the burlesque. During then, the show, during the and performances. And then he says, meet me in my chambers afterwards kind of thing. And <laughs> and then they give Ooh. him permission to, ex- yeah, yeah, yeah. Spicy. Beautiful. Fuck. It is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we've created a whole headcanon for ourselves that I think Perfect. perfectly fits. And I'm not yeah. trying to put words in the encyclopedia's mouth, but this is so fucking obvious. Like it's written Subtextual. in between yeah. the lines there. Totally. <laughs> and again- amazing hbo miniseries yes a spe- oh the representation we get some bisexual representation oh it'd be so good yeah we so, need so, so hbo good. And basically everything we're talking about today should and could be an hbo miniseries once once y'all figure out the writer's strike we'll, we'll yeah call us we're game we're game <laughs> we're game all right so all of that speculation aside <laughs> what we do know from the encyclopedia is that after her husband's death Maria kicked shit into high gear. And honestly, again, sort of reading between the lines, it's clear to me that like Alberto is maybe the artist where the passion came from. And Maria was the fucking brains of the operation. Because after his death, she vaulted the family's fortunes to the stratosphere by starting a number of covert smuggling operations. <laughs> shit. They're okay. like a huge entertainment company now, right? So they're all over the galaxy. So they have easy ways to smuggle stuff all over the galaxy. Oh my God, yeah. And she uses the funds from these operations to basically reinvest back into the entertainment business and creates like a massive conglomerate, an entertainment empire that spans the entire galaxy. And to give you a sense of how massive Maria takes House Guinness's entertainment business, here's what the Dune Encyclopedia tells us. Quote, by the year 7950, the House of Guinness, as it was now called, had a monopoly on live performances before audiences of 10,000 or more. It also owned chains of gambling casinos, prostitution rings catering to the very rich, and theaters specializing in fights between different kinds of animals, or between animals and humans. There were rumors during this period of a particularly vile exhibition of sadomasochistic violence being staged for specific clientele, but these allegations were never proven. End quote. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? I mean, that really goes downhill and then up a different hill and then off a cliff. Oh my and then, gosh. That's wild. Because we went from... We went, okay, yeah, sure. Live performances. Okay, gambling casinos. Okay. Okay. Yeah, a good way of like laundering money, I guess. Uh, Theaters specializing in fights between different kinds of animals. Yeah. Yeah. 
This is this is where it gets hairy for me as well. Yeah, literally. That's the that's the furry hairy part where you're like, what is that theater? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's Ugh. a movie theater. What about the one next door? Oh, that's where bears fight. Yeah. You're like the large cuddly men or the animal and you're like both <laughs> it's between bear men and bears yeah <laughs> yeah it's wild stuff like off the deep end stuff but honestly hats off to maria right oh totally like yeah, yeah she yeah. took this operation that was already doing very well and was under the good graces of the emperor but after the emperor passes you got to make sure you're okay, right? Like you no longer have like a free pass to the most powerful person in the world. Right. And so Maria's like, all right, I got to make sure we're never poor again. Yeah. And does clearly does basically everything and anything required to make money. Yeah. Also, I love that idea of like, we've seen this as like archetypes in pleasure houses and you'll have like the matron mother or like the, the, the one in charge, you know, and I love this idea of her at this head of what sounds like it very likely is a criminal organization on some levels because mm -hmm, they're like mm -hmm. smuggling shit and unproven allegations of sadomasochistic spectacles and yeah. things that are probably breaking rules and laws. The fact that she's like at the head of this empire is incredible. So cool. Also, do you think she's kind of like losing herself from all the the sorrow of losing her partner and the emperor as well. She's kind of like, yeah. lose yourself in work kind of stuff. Exactly what I was going to say. I think it's like a single-minded focus on make money, grow my empire, make money, grow my empire, be safe, be safe, never be poor right. again. Like, I think after losing the love of her life, Alberto, it is a coping mechanism for her to just totally. throw herself into building this thing. Yeah. Easy to imagine. Agreed. That's where she ended up emotionally. So regardless of all of that, eventually, we're told that in 8400 AG, House Atreides themselves, ever heard of them, <laughs> nominate House Ginas, who's quite powerful at this point, to be included in the Landstrad as a House Major. So no more House Minor status. And the vote actually passes despite the objections from the Carinos and the Harkonnens. Ever heard of them? Yeah. Wow. And we're told that because of this like sort of buddy-buddy relationship between the two houses, in most cases, House Guinness would align itself politically with Atreides' interests whenever it came to a vote, whenever it came to politics. And in a lot of cases, this would be in opposition to Harkonnen policies or even Carino policies, or as we're told, a house called House Moritani, who will go on to become their bitter rivals. Right. There was a lot of opposition to them, but they were in the Atreides camp. They were allied with the Atreides at this point. Now, the rivalry with House Moritani would actually continue to grow over the years to a point where eventually it led to a war. It led to a war of assassins between House Guinez and House Moritani. And this is where we bring it full circle. <laughs> Yeah. Our guy Duncan, freshly graduated from the Swordmaster schools of House Guinness, gets wrapped up in this very war. Ooh, yeah. But before we tell you about the War of Assassins, mm -hmm. dear listeners, we're going to take a quick break. So don't go anywhere. When we're back, knives, swords, <laughs> hunter, seekers, probably. 
All sorts, all sorts. will be thrown all about. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, everyone. Let's get back to the life of our boy, Duncan Idaho. Just to refresh you all, he has just graduated at the age of 17 from the Swordmaster School of Guinness. He is a certified Swordmaster, top of his class, very likely. And then a war of assassins breaks out between House Guinness and House Maritani in the year 10,175 AG, shortly after his graduation. Right. And Duncan gets wrapped up in this war. Now, just to be clear, a war of assassins is different than what you typically think of a war. This isn't like battlefields and massive space battles taking place between these two houses. Right, right. The encyclopedia tells us that the War of Assassins is one of the permitted kinds of warfare in the Imperium. And, quote, describes a large-scale use of professional assassins in a feud between two great houses of the Landstride in the Old Imperium. End quote. Yes. Yeah. So I would imagine this is more like small strike teams or use of like poisons and assassins and subterfuge rather than all-out military might. You're not going to see 10,000 soldiers on a battlefield. Yeah, and we don't get a lot of examples of specific conflicts within these War of Assassins, but the ones we do see are exactly as you're describing, where it's like individuals or small teams or even quite a few assassins but sent as like an all-at-once nighttime assault sort of situation. Right. But definitely not to big armies meeting in the field of battle, right. <laughs> like in some neutral space where they're, you know, it's not invading forces in a city. It's yeah. Like I, I, I do picture like a seal team six or like a SWAT team sent in. Exactly. Exactly. And to be clear where Duncan fits into all of this is that he's not particularly happy about being wrapped up in this war. Like right. his hope was I will graduate and then get a job with House Trades. They were my sponsors at this college, and they will likely hire me once I'm out. And so he was very much looking forward to that, to returning to work for House Atreides, a house that he's already deeply loyal to, but is ultimately sent to fight in the small-scale battles of this war and is pretty bummed out by that. And we're told in the encyclopedia that apparently he sort of threw himself into the fight as a means to get over his feelings about not working for House Atreides. It was a way to ease his sorrow, I guess, was to throw himself into the work. Right. Yeah. Now, Duncan, this might not surprise you if you know who Duncan is, was so effective in this War of Assassins. He was, again, never underperforming, this guy, that, quote, decades after his death, troubadours related his exploits incredible wow so long after he's gone p 
people are still singing literally about his abilities as what he was as a swordmaster for House Guinness. Yeah. And the story that they talk about and the story that they sing about is incredible. <laughs> Apparently, everybody else in Duncan's patrol, his little squad, had been killed. So it was him alone. Now he stood blocking the door so that the Ginaz family could escape. <laughs> and up against literally the finest Grumman swordsmen. And of course, House Moritani is based on Grumman. So these right. are these are swordmasters and swordsmen from House Moritani. Yes. Some of the finest fighters in the universe. Uh-huh. He managed and? He managed to kill 18 of them by himself <laughs> before, not before dying. No, oh, no, no. Uh -huh. Before they managed to get him with a hunter seeker filled with a uh, sedative. So like a tranquilizer. Yeah. They got him with the horse tranquilizer. Damn. Basically, because they were like watching him <laughs> cutting through their men and they're like, we can't fucking waste this are you kidding me this guy's <laughs> incredible right oh my god top score he killed another one of our friends whoa oh my why god. am i clapping this guy's amazing oh my god double <laughs> double up the dose actually double the dose we Just need to, to we need safe. to cut through his testosterone we uh, we we already hit him with three tranquilizers he's fighting harder now it's crazy <laughs> And he's really hot? Is that just me? Is that weird? <laughs> is, that is that weird? I'm in the middle of battle. <laughs> Woo! Okay. Man, he can get it. I'm watching him get it. It's crazy. <laughs> but yes, a hunter seeker loaded up with tranquilizer basically knocked him out so he right. could be captured. Right. Now, having successfully captured <laughs> this like monumental man, uh huh, uh huh, Grumman slavers were hoping. That Duncan could be like a trainer. Oh. He could be like forced or coerced to train and develop Grumman swordsmen so that whatever secret sauce he was cooking with yeah. could be maybe imparted upon some of their fighters. <laughs> Unfortunately for them, Duncan is famous for quite a few things. Doing what he fucking wants to do and not listening to people if he doesn't want to. Right. Part of Duncan's charm. High on the part list. Part of it's high on the list. <laughs> and so he spent his time within captivity constantly trying to escape. Just Amazing. constantly causing problems, disrupting any and all order he could. Wow. Just <laughs> being a rubble rouser. Rabble rouser? Rabble rouser. Rabble. Mm. Rabble rouser. You haven't used that synonym for ne'er do well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just being a just being mischievous. Right. right. And with, quote, his tactical leadership of three slave revolts. Oh, my God. Quote, he was just giving them the hardest fucking time. It's so much fun to imagine <laughs> this period of his life. Right. When, you know, they're like, oh, we'll, we'll break him. Two months later, they're like sweating. They're like, fuck, he's ruined so many fucking things. <laughs> and apparently he was so awful to keep, they got rid of him. They were like, we can't. It's too expensive. It's too expensive to keep this guy. He's, he broke everything. Yeah. It, it probably that? cost so much to keep Duncan Idaho in captivity. <laughs> yeah. That it wasn't worth it. Probably fucked up the annual budget to try and keep this guy under control. Not to mention the slaves he is helping rise up to revolt against their captors. Yeah. Ultimately, you're right, though. House Grumman is like, 
this is too much for us. We cannot keep this man under, under control. So they sell him to da, 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 House Harkonnen. Oh, no. So this, the sale of Duncan Idaho officially goes through in 10,180 AG. And just to orient ourselves on the timeline here, a quick check-in. The War of Assassins has one year left. So the War of Assassins will end in 10,181 between House Kinez and House Moritani. Spoiler alert, House Kinez is like nearly decimated at this point. Yeah. And yeah. Moritani wins pretty spectacularly. And Duncan, by this time, is 22 years old in 10,180 AG. So still young, still probably at the peak of his fucking strength, and he is sold <laughs> to House Harkonnen. Yeah. Now, you're going to notice a pattern here, listener, but House Harkonnen bought him because they thought that they were buying one of the best swordmasters in the galaxy <laughs> and that perhaps he could be utilized, that perhaps Duncan would serve them or help them with training their swordmasters. They were wrong, much like House Grumman was wrong. Yeah. And they faced many of the same budgetary and slave revolt issues that House Grumman faced as well. And ultimately, they were like, fuck, this guy is so expensive to keep under control. They chose to cut their losses and basically sent him to the mines on Hagal, on planet Hagal, which, to be clear, is an absolutely brutal assignment because the encyclopedia tells us that over 60% of the slaves that were sent to these mines died every single year. Yeah. So this is effectively a death sentence for Duncan to be sent to these mines. Right. However, <laughs> this is Duncan motherfucking Idaho we're talking about. Need we remind you. Need we remind you. <laughs> yeah. So despite those odds, 60% mortality rate, yeah. Duncan survives in these mines for the next three years. <laughs> yeah. I also love the implicit, you know, for a fact that the Grumman slavers did not accurately represent what it was like to own Duncan Idaho. Oh, for to House sure. Harkonnen. Like, I just imagined them, oh, yeah, yeah, he's a phenomenal fighter. Like, he killed 18 of our, it's crazy. It's And Harkonnens are like, wow, yeah, 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 that's great. What's it been like having him in captivity? Has he been training people? And they're like, he, you know, it's unremarkable. <laughs> Training in a way, kind of yeah. He he contributes in his contributes. Own... Good work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's he's he's he is very good at kind of you know get, getting <laughs> things happening. Uh, it's just really his specialty, and I think you're gonna love you're gonna yeah. love him. I mean, and, uh, actually, you you know what? We're buddies. We're buddies. Let's let me give you the buddy discount. Let's drop the yeah. price another you know what? another thousand credits. How about that? Well. It's listen. It hurts us to do this, but because we're such good friends, we'll uh, we'll let you have them for just a little bit discount. You know, right? And the Harkonnens are like, "Fuck, sounds like a deal." <laughs> Facebook Marketplace <laughs> strikes again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, what a good representation of Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> You're like, wait, I'm looking at the third photo. Is that a slave revolt in the background? No, 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 no. Don't worry about it. Should it fucking take that picture off the listing? 
Amazing. Okay. Great point. Great point. <laughs> the, the sales pitch from the Grum and Slavers must have been absolutely iconic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yes. So three years on Hagal. Yeah. And that's not where Duncan's story ends, naturally. He has to get back to House Atreides. So let's talk about his time on Hagal. Yes. And amidst the literally lethal working conditions, right? You look at 10 workers, choose six of them randomly, they're dead by the end of the year, right? That's what we're talking about. He slowly but surely plotted his escape. Now, the Dune Encyclopedia notes that his time with the Grumman slavers was not subtle. <laughs> he was like overturning <laughs> tables, leading revolts, right. you know, breaking shit, left right. and right. He also did not succeed in escaping the Grumman slavers. Mm. Good point. So at some point during his captivity with the Grumman slavers, the Dune Encyclopedia notes that he clearly learned some subtlety because by his fourth year on Hagal, he had stowed enough like gems and jewels that he had gathered while mining. He like smuggled them and kept them and stored them. He had a mass. We all know where he kept them. <laughs> he did it mostly for fun at the beginning, but then uh, <laughs> eventually was like, "Wow, I got quite a few, quite a few gems up there." <laughs> yeah, it's true, almost certainly. But he, but no, he had this collection of gems, this collection of minerals, so much so that he could then afford bribes. LOL, which is amazing. And again, <laughs> you're on a jewelry planet, and you're like, "I've got enough to actually get shit done." And if that wasn't enough, oh, <laughs> he also seduced the daughter of the Harkonnen governor. Hello. And between those two elements, between uh -huh. his mass of butt gems <laughs> <laughs> that he smuggled creatively <laughs> and the governor's daughter, who I'm sure head over heels for this war hero handsome rugged oh yeah survive how many years tell me again how many years you've survived here he's like three, three. she's like oh, oh my god oh my god oh my god three okay wow so between those two things he was able to get a message to caladan he was able to say hey house atreides here's where i am if you want to come get me here's right. where i am right now he escaped the mines on his own fleeing into, quote, Hagal's vast veld, end quote, which is the planet's expansive grasslands. So you're kind of like undeveloped grasslands. Also, fun fact, veld, which is V-E-L-D-T, is Dutch for field. Okay. Today I learned. Yeah. There the you more go. you know. I just learned that as know. well. And apparently, out in these grasslands with the governor's daughter, he survived there for six months, chilling in the wilderness, <laughs> in the Hagalian wilderness, before being found by none other than Gurney motherfucking Halleck. Yes, a fellow brother in arms. <laughs> the message to Caladan succeeded. They, I guess part of the message was, hey, come find me. I'm going to be in the wilderness with this, with this, with this dime, babe. 10 out of 10, with this babe. <laughs> Gurney Halleck's like, this bastard did it again. <laughs> I knew that child had greatness in him. <laughs> 
to be clear, the dude encyclopedia really makes it clear that he escaped into the grasslands with the daughter. Like this wasn't like she slipped him a key and he got out and escaped on his own. They were out there together, 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 just hunting and gathering and almost certainly fucking the whole (laughs) time. The whole time. Six straight months. Yeah. You, You thought working in the mines, that lethality was hard work? No. No. Being alone with Duncan in the wilderness <laughs> is some real cardio. Are you kidding me? The mortality rate? High. High. <laughs> it's insane. It's actually eight out of ten. Eight out of ten people every year who sleep. Still worth it. It's still worth it, but it's, you know, yeah. you just need to know that. Yeah. Yeah. Duncan's literal body count, like dead body count, <laughs> extremely high. The ratio is concerning. Yeah. <laughs> Number of people he's slept with and the number of people he's killed. Similar and concerning. And concerning, for sure. Well, Duncan is eventually rescued and he gets a hero's welcome on his return to Kaladin. And it's made clear in the encyclopedia that Duncan's rescue was not only useful in retrieving an asset, a key asset for House Atreides, but it also served as a message to the empire of Atreidean values. Of course, we know Duncan is an asset that the Atreides would want by this point, right? He was oh, a legendary yeah. in the War of Assassins for Ginaz. Ginaz was an ally of House Atreides. And so House Atreides spared no expense in retrieving him from Hagal once they got the SOS message. And all of the resources that they spent on rescuing just one man demonstrated, quote, his value to the Atreides and the reality of the Atreides boast that they took care of their own, end quote. Mm, yeah. This was cool. a child that we sponsored. This was a man who fought legendarily in the War of Assassins for Ginaz. We right. valued yeah. him, he is loyal to us, and we reward loyalty. And thus they spent probably an insane amount of money to rescue him. Yeah. Now, as far as Duncan is concerned, this all but cemented his loyalty to the Atreides, right? Beyond the shadow of a doubt, he is now loyal to House Atreides. Right, yeah. And so I think this is really important to understand about Duncan. He's not just loyal because the Duke was like nice to him one time or something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He is loyal because his whole life he owes to the Atreides, every aspect of it. Yeah, you know, I I think going into Dune, if you're watching it for the first time, if you're reading it for the first time, just remembering all of this, that yeah. he came from Caledonian poverty, basically lower class, yeah. didn't really have a life ahead of him. He was going to be undistinguished like his parents probably until House Atreides said, we recognize quality in you, gave him a full ride scholarship. And then when that shit went south. And not because of something House Atreides did. I mean, the War of Assassins was Ginaz and, you know, Muratani. Right, right. For House Atreides to then say, hey, listen, that's not on us technically, but we're going to expend all this money to get you back. Right. We're going to send Gurney motherfucking Halleck <laughs> yeah. personally to come pick you up. Yeah. That's a big gesture. Now, ultimately, his return to House Atreides, his, his sort of perceived resurrection. Yeah within the confines of House Atreides marks the beginning of what the Dune Encyclopedia notes as his greatest long-range or long-term contribution to 
the great house to house atreides yeah which is specifically the training of young paul atreides well 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 timothy chalamet <laughs> trained from a young age and that basically brings us to the first book right because right. the first book begins paul atreides is 15 15 16 i think yeah 15 and duncan has by the first page of dune been training paul for like i don't know seven eight years yeah like that. yeah for sure he's a key advisor to duke leto he's a key part of house atreides and as the Dune Encyclopedia says, perhaps his greatest contribution is a mentor and trainer for young Paul Atreides. That's true. And that brings us up to the modern timeline. That is Indeed. the early life of Duncan Idaho, his childhood, what little we know about it, all the way through his graduation, through the, his time in the war, and his time in captivity on Grumman and the Harkonnen. It's a wild ride, as would yeah. be expected. From someone as legendary as Duncan Idaho. He famously doles out wild rides to <laughs> all sorts of people. If you if you make eye contact with him at a bar, yeah. a wild ride might Woo! be in your... Fatality, though, again, the mortality rate, very high. Very mortality, high. Yeah. A little risky. A little risky. Very risky. But some things well, are worth it. Some things are worth it, and this is one of them. Uh, let's wrap up, Yeah, as we like to do, with a fun little question. Okay. So, Abu... Thinking about the six months mm. that he spent with the uh, governor's daughter yes. <laughs> out mm. in the Hagalian grasslands. Okay. How do you think Duncan managed to survive? Wow. I mean, this is the part of Duncan's life that I have so many questions about. These six months exactly. Because the first thing I have to wonder is why the daughter ran away with him in the first place. Right? Like, what kind of love affair was this to begin with? Mm -hmm. My estimation is that it wasn't just pure manipulation on Duncan's part. That's outside his character, right? He would never purely manipulate someone. Yeah, I agree. I think there might have been something more going on. I like to imagine that perhaps she was unhappy with her station in life, right? She's the governor's daughter. Maybe she doesn't want to be in that position. Maybe there's a forced marriage situation. Who knows? Yeah, again, women in the Imperium doled a bad hand. Absolutely. It's like all political marriages, you're a tool yep. used by governors, especially Harkonnen governors who are going to yeah. be power hungry. Yeah, so totally. I get that. So I like to think she was maybe unhappy. And Duncan saw an opportunity here, not only to save himself, right? To use her to save himself, get out of the mines, but perhaps also to help her. And so I think they maybe ran away together as companions and not be just because he manipulated or tricked her. Totally. I agree. Now, when it comes to their time out in the wild, I think this is pretty clear cut, right? Like to me, Duncan has all of this knowledge and expertise and experience from the war, his training from the Swordmaster school. So he probably uses his military skills to keep them fed and sheltered out in the wilderness. Right. Now, I also think the daughter's contribution plays a role here as well, because she is a native of the planet. Duncan is not. True. So perhaps the daughter's knowledge of the planet and even the surrounding villages or towns helped them to stay away from law enforcement or helped them to find campgrounds or whatever to hide out in. Mm. And so I like to think they worked in tandem to survive out here these six months. 
Duncan had the survival skills. The daughter had the knowledge, the lay of the land. I also think, to be very clear, <laughs> the thrill of an escape is like no other. Yeah. I can't speak from personal experience, but I can imagine it. Sure. And nothing sparks romance than adrenaline. <laughs> this is like pretty well yeah. known, you know, like yeah, couples true. will like skydive together as a way to like spark their sexual tension again or whatever. Right. I think this brings their affair, their short lived romance to new heights. Like mm. they're out in the wild for these six months, just fucking like wild animals, <laughs> like doing shit that like you and I have never even thought of. Like they're, they're out there. <laughs> The romance is palpable, uh -huh. and they're doing damage, <laughs> frankly. Destroying the landscape. <laughs> Destroying the landscape. Afterwards, like, some Hagalian patrols are like, what the fuck happened to this forest? <laughs> it's terrible. What happened? What creature tore its what? way through six kilometers of this forest? Oh, oh God. No. This forest. <laughs> I planted that tree when I was like, what happened to it? <laughs> I woke up and the whole left part of my building was missing. <laughs> Amazing. They're doing damage. Definitely. Um, so to wrap up my long-winded answer to your question, I, I do think like after the six months have uh -huh. transpired, Gurney finally arrives to save them, right? Yeah. And I think Duncan has a choice here. Uh -huh. Stay with the girl or go back to the Atreides. And we all know his loyalty to the Atreides could never be broken by any girl. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I don't no, no. think it's even a question for him. He chooses to return to the Atreides and leave the girl behind. But again, it would be out of character for Duncan to just be like evil towards right, her, right? right? So I think maybe perhaps there's a happy ending for the governor's daughter. Gurney and Duncan probably take her with them back to Kaladin. And maybe they ensure that she gets some sort of cozy post within House Atreides and is able to uh, maybe change her name, start a new life, and get away from whatever she was running from. So that's my headcanon for what happens to the governor's daughter. It's a pretty happy ending, nice bow tie on it, but that seems the most likely. And I, I don't think Duncan's the kind of guy to just like leave her out in the wilderness or something. And return yeah. to the Atreides. <laughs> yeah. What about you? What, what do you think transpired in this love affair between these two characters? And uh, how, do, how do you think their adventures went over the six months? Yeah. I mean, listen, I agree. I think, I think at the end of the day, you have the governor's daughter running away with the slave. Yeah. With a slave minor. Yeah. I mean, that screams making her own choice. That screams disobeying the intentions of her Harkonnen governor father. Yeah. So I agree. I think, I think Duncan's not really a manipulator <laughs> from everything we know about him. So I think they probably did have a real connection, but I think also at the end of the day, just because they have a good connection and because he's her key out of there, doesn't mean that they're locked in some like soul bound. They have to be each other's soulmates. Right. I think right. That it's, it's a moment of convenience for both of them. I agree. Yeah. Now out in the fields, if anything, I mean, listen, 
between his militaristic and strategic genius and his, his raw sexual prowess, mm. I think they were neither bored nor hungry for the six months. Yeah. And in fact, I kind of think of it as like, maybe this was a nice vacation <laughs> for both of them. Like, like a little getaway from city living, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're like, we have no appointments. That's sex six times a day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eat a bit. Another six times later in the day. <laughs> Should have said 12 times a day. You know? <laughs> it's a little couple's retreat, you know, under yeah. the wilderness. And I think to the end of their little soiree, I think that it's clear that she wouldn't be safe, right? Like to be the daughter of a governor, a Harkonnen governor, and then to help this incredible asset flee and return it to House Atreides yeah. would put her in immense risk. So I almost think she wouldn't be back with House Atreides at all. Oh, interesting. I think they would find her shelter, maybe under a, a fake name or something like that. Maybe they sent her to Tapil. Maybe that's part oh. of the massive expense as they send her to the oh. witness protection planet, you know? Yeah, yeah. I didn't But think I think if she all. stayed with House Atreides, she would continue to be in danger. Because House Harkonnen and House Atreides, they're fucking with each other constantly. So it's like having you so close to probable conflict with House Harkonnen is a risk. So Good I think point. they would Good point. I think they would have one final bout in bed. <laughs> kind of a farewell <laughs> a, a fling. Farewell. A farewell fuck, yeah, as they call it. <laughs> and uh, and I think they would have sent her uh, to some faraway place. And I think that's why we don't hear about her. Definitely, definitely. Wow. Well, there it is, folks. The life of Duncan Idaho, <laughs> his many adventures. And we can't wait for this to become an HBO miniseries, written and directed by us. <laughs> written and directed by us. <laughs> We'll have it no other way. We're <laughs> copywriting Duncan Idaho right now. <laughs> right, right. We've already pitched some incredible headcanon stories that are original, you know? So, yeah. Uh, Alber- I mean, I wanna... Alberto and the Emperor, their love affair. That's us. I was going to say, I want to go back to that. Like, that sounds like really a, yeah. what the kind of show that would do really well these days, yeah. I think. Definitely. HBO, our emails are open, please. You're, throw- you're burning money not talking to us, <laughs> right? All righty. Well, Dear listener, before we let you go, as always, we want to remind you of a couple of ways to support this show and to get in touch with us. And the first way, as always, the first and best way, become a patron over at patreon.com slash gamjabar. Folks, listen, first of all, you help us do what we do, and we appreciate it beyond the confines of language. I can't even express my gratitude. For everybody who supports and in exchange for your support you get ad free episodes bonus clips and bloopers there are going to be like nine from this episode alone oh they're gonna be good it's oh, so many little right. flubs imagine duncan idaho plus sex jokes <laughs> jokes too spicy for the main feed <laughs> indeed indeed we can't get gonna... that horny on main it's no, that would be uncalled no, no, no. for uncalled for yeah you all expect us to be upright gentlemen uh, <laughs> so to maintain that bravura we uh we edit heavily so anyway you also get access to our exclusive discord where we're chatting and hanging out and talking about all dune stuff so please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash gamjabar that's right and another 
great way to support the show is to check out our merch store on gomjabarshop.com. We have Dune-themed merch. There's art, there's apparel, there's mugs, a tote bag, stickers, <laughs> socks, and so much more. So, gomjabarshop.com, go check it out, get yourself something nice, and support the podcast. Indeed. Finally, we love to hear from you, so send us an email. Gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com is our email address. Send us your thoughts, your questions, your feedback, things you like about the podcast, things you wish were better about the podcast. Do you have absurd suggestions for what Duncan Idaho's parents would be named? Oh. Again, Baskin, Kentucky. <laughs> Solid. Uh, let us know. Gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com is our email address. We'd love to hear from you. We would indeed. I just can't stop thinking about that fucking Hogalian patrol who just finds the landscape decimated. And they're like, oh, God, it's terrible. What happened here? Was what, it a tornado? What are these claw marks? I've never claw. seen claws that large. Oh, the ground is so wet. Oh, it's so wet. Oh, my God. Oh, God. It's, it's terrible. It's terrible, but I'm kind of turned It's terrible. It's terrible, is it? I'm also, it's also, all of us are horny. <laughs> Something it's an aphrodisiac. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help spread the word of Muadib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. We're also on TikTok at Gomjabar Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the golden path. <laughs>